Welcome to Heart and Stroke Presents Healthcare Insights During COVID-19, a podcast series with leading healthcare experts in cardiac and stroke care. Each week, we bring you the latest updates from the COVID-19 frontlines. Leading experts in stroke, cardiac, and vascular cognitive impairment share their insights into how systems of care are adapting to the pandemic and how these systems may change in the future. Our guest today is Dr. Eric Smith. Dr. Smith shares his perspectives on the most critical challenges facing vascular cognitive impairment and dementia systems of care during COVID-19, and his expert insights into how these systems are adapting. Dr. Smith is a professor of neurology at the Kathy Taylor Chair in Vascular Dementia at the University of Calgary and Hodgkin's Brain Institute, and a member of the Calgary Stroke Program. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. So older adults with COVID-19 often have poor outcomes. And among older adults, we also see an increased prevalence of vascular dementia. We sort of have this double whammy of dementia and COVID-19 playing out in the system right now, which has raised concerns for people living with dementia, but also those that care for them. And Eric, you care for these people every day. What are some of the main impacts that you've seen COVID-19 have on systems of care for this vulnerable population? So much has changed uh, for people living with vascular cognitive impairment and uh, healthcare professionals like me that care for them. I see persons with vascular cognitive impairment in two different settings. One is on the stroke wards where about two-thirds of people who have a stroke have some impact on their cognition, which means their memory or their thinking or other aspects of uh, reasoning and behavior. Uh, In many Patients, this will improve over time and many will recover. But we know that about 10% of persons with stroke develop severe cognitive problems that don't get better, called dementia. Uh, additionally, at least 10%, maybe as high as 20% of persons who present with stroke already have a history of dementia. The reason so many people with stroke have a history of dementia is partly because most of these are conditions that affect older people, but also because a lot of the risk factors are shared between stroke and dementia. So, risk factors like high blood pressure like having a history of diabetes, like smoking. These are all risk factors for both of these conditions, so we see them travel together a lot. Right. People have had a stroke and have cognitive problems. Uh, if they're severe or interfere with their daily activities, they may need a period of cognitive rehabilitation, sometimes done as an outpatient, uh, sometimes done on an inpatient rehabilitation uh, facility. And then access to rehabilitation has been slowed down or in some cases delayed or modified because of the COVID pandemic. So, for example, if there's a suspicion that someone may have had COVID-19 caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, they would probably need to recover from the virus before they could go to a typical rehabilitation ward uh, to receive their care or to have visits uh, for outpatient therapy. In my um, health system in Calgary, we had to uh, change the way that we do early supportive discharge, which was a program to do therapy in the home, and it's kind of moved online. Uh, like a lot of Mm -hmm. other outpatient services. For a while, one of our two neurorehabilitation wards in the city was going to be moved off-site to a totally different uh, building with all of the disruption and chaos that a move entails. You know, this was an effort to uh, free up beds at Foothill Hospital for an anticipated uh, surge of COVID patients. Unfortunately, the surge has been uh, flattened by public health uh, containment measures. So ultimately, our rehabilitation ward didn't move, but it's just an example of some of the systems disruption that's interfering rehabilitation care. 
And then the other setting that I see persons with vascular cognitive impairment is in the dementia clinic. So I work in a clinic called the Cognitive Neurosciences Clinic at Foothills Hospital, and we see people there and recognize they may have vascular cognitive impairment when they present with memory problems, and a brain scan shows that they have had strokes in the past, but, but uh, didn't realize it because the strokes didn't cause problems with movement or speech or sensation, but instead they had effects on cognition. So that's the other setting where we see patients with vascular cognitive impairment. And care in that setting too has been changed. You know, we've moved entirely to telemedicine appointments. So for example, I spoke with two patients on the phone today and I did a Zoom appointment with one. I mean, there's a lot of promise with using technology to overcome some of the um, uh, or to allow us to meet physical distancing measures to limit spread of the virus. But I, I do worry, you know, so many of the patients that I see are older, they, you know, didn't grow up with the uh, internet in the same way that I did or that my uh, children are doing. Uh, some of them are less familiar with the technology. Some people may not have internet access, particularly Canadians in more rural settings where uh, your access to high-speed internet, I think, re remains uh, a challenge and a problem. So we, we have to, I think, be vigilant that the move to online care doesn't create or exacerbate disparities in access of care to persons with lower socioeconomic status, older persons, more socially isolated persons, and persons in rural settings. Yeah, it's a really important point. This, this whole pandemic has really brought all of those inequities to light as we scramble to serve all of these people. Can you talk a little bit, so are you doing cognitive assessments uh, virtually and are there validated tools for that or is that really specific to each jurisdiction depending on, like you said, access to technology and those things? Yeah, this is the one, one of the things that we're uh, working on and I can tell you what we're doing in our clinic. And I'm also aware of some work that's sponsored by a COVID-related task force organized by the Alzheimer's Society of Canada to review the evidence in this area. But there are validated assessments for cognition that can be done over the phone. Not as many as have been validated or used in person. And some of them are, um, the validation data is sort of there, but emerging or not completely published yet. What we are using in our clinic is a test called the blind MOCA. The MOCA is the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, which is one of the most widely used cognitive assessments. And it's recommended by um, guidelines for mood cognition and fatigue after stroke by the Heart and Stroke Foundation uh, as being um, a test that's reasonable to use and has been investigated as uh, being valid in persons with vascular cognitive impairment and is more sensitive to vascular cognitive impairment than many of the other general screening tests like the Folstein Mini Mental Status Exam. The blind MOCA was developed for persons with visual impairment and it uh, consists of the subtests of the MOCA that don't require sight uh, for the test. So for a sighted person, uh, it would include a cube copy, drawing a clock, uh, naming uh, pictures of animals. So these tests that require vision are removed, and, and then the rest, the remaining uh, tests can be administered uh, over the telephone. So you get a total score out of 22 instead of out of 30. But uh, one of the reasons we're using it is because we can link on the sub-items of the MOCA that are conserved between the blind MOCA and the regular MOCA, we can compare them to prior testing in our patients over time. The most widely validated telephone assessment is called the TICS, which is the Telephone Interview for Cognitive Status. That's another valid choice. It's a little more heavily oriented toward memory tests, 
not as heavily weighted toward the executive dysfunction that often comes with vascular cognitive impairment, but it's another option and would take a similar amount of time. A lot of understanding the impact of cognition is understanding its impact on mood and behavior and function. And so those kind of skills and questions can be easily asked over the phone. So one can, over the phone, find out if uh, there's a history of difficulty, you know, filling out grocery lists, uh, mm. dialing and using the telephone, you know, um, problems with cooking or shopping or finances. So we can learn about all of these kind of things from people um, uh, over the telephone. Often, one of the problems with cognitive impairment is that if you're forgetful, you might also forget uh, what you forgot uh, if you follow. So it's helpful to have information from an informant, you know, it's usually a spouse who lives with the person, kind of fill in some of the things that maybe the patient forgot to tell you about. Also, some of these brain conditions can lead to a lack of insight into the symptoms of one's illness. The neurological term for that is anosognosia. Uh, and that can prevent the patient from giving a full reporting of all of their symptoms, or even the patient may simply be unaware that they have a problem or condition at all, uh, but that's quite aware to others around them. So this is one of the other challenges with the um, telehealth assessments is we want to get that information from the informant, but they often want to discuss it with us uh, privately. So sometimes we'll need to do kind of two appointments, one with the person or one with, and one with the uh, informant to get a full picture of what's going on. The other thing we're trying is having uh, a uh, secure website where the uh, informant can fill out information, you know, like answer some questionnaires about the function and the symptoms of the person living with vascular vascular impairment. And that's a way for them to kind of privately report some of the symptoms uh, without needing to have a separate uh, call. Or if their informant and the patient are living in a small space, you know, like say uh, a suite in an assisted living facility, it's a little hard to have a private conversation because mm -hmm. you may have two rooms or something like that in your suite. So that, that's another way that we can interact with people and allow each, each person to kind of privately share some of their concerns and um, some of the symptoms that they've noticed. So I'm just wondering, uh, you know, with PPE and everybody wearing masks and, and, and working with people with cognitive impairment, it must be a barrier to communication to have a mask on. How do you assist with communication in that setting? Well, it, it is a challenging uh, scenario to be in. Particularly, we know that persons with cognitive impairment, including vascular cognitive impairment, are vulnerable to the disorienting effects of being in a hospital, mm. uh, which can lead to uh, hospital delirium, which independent of stroke severity and other factors is another risk factor for mortality in the hospital and worse outcomes. So to try to combat that, you know, we try to keep people as grounded and oriented as we can. Simple steps include, you know, having a, a patient who's vulnerable to delirium uh, near a window so they can align their circadian rhythms with uh, natural day and night cycles, having things around them that are familiar that remind them from home, you know, but having a team that's seeing you in you know, yellow or green or white gowns with a mask and a face shield such that only eyes are visible, you can imagine it doesn't help one stay uh, oriented and uh, calm and uh, allay anxiety. So I think we have to be mindful of that. Uh, try mm -hmm. to keep people as oriented as possible. Uh, persons are often um, not allowed to have visitors too. I mean, depending on the policies 
for limiting viral spread in each of the hospitals and health uh, jurisdictions and health mm-hmm. regions. Um, and so that inhibits orientation as well. So we have to think about helping people, like ideally health systems will provide technologies to help people communicate uh, with persons who, uh, like with family members and friends, even if they can't physically be present. So for example, some of my patients I know who are living in long-term care facilities or assisted living facilities where they uh, uh, may not even be allowed to kind of leave their suite to go into a common space. You know, meals are dropped off at the door. Family members are no longer able to visit. Um, I think we've seen some heartbreaking pictures in the in the news in the, in the first uh, weeks and months of the pandemic, yeah. you know, of family members at the window trying to, you know, kind of... Uh, almost like Romeo and Juliet kind of calling up to the window of their loved one who's in the long-term care facility. You know, we have a similar problem in the hospitals too, but if we can help uh, provide technology, you know, like a tablet to do FaceTime and other things so people can stay in touch with loved ones. And that, I think that can help reassure them a lot and bring them some comfort and help them feel more comfortable in the hospital setting. Absolutely. I'm also wondering about like guidance for other clinicians or allied health working with people with cognitive impairment. And I know there, there, there have been concerns around protecting themselves, thinking that potentially there's um, interference with adherence to hand washing and physical distancing and all of those measures. Can you give any guidance on that for others? Yeah, I think what you're alluding to is um, concern that's been expressed and some of the family members of persons living with vascular cognitive impairment have um, cited this as a concern to me too. You know, it's hard to remember to adhere to hand washing and other hygienic procedures, you know, for persons with more moderate to advanced uh, stages of dementia. And in fact, this is one of the basic daily activities we ask people about to understand the stage and severity of their illness. Mm. You know, as things progress, people often need reminders about even basic regular hygiene, you know, to take a shower, to wash hands. And so this has become somewhat more acute, you know, in the setting of the uh, pandemic. And of course, you know, persons living with dementia are, are like other people. They don't like being bugged, nagged, or reminded to do things over and over. So this can lead to some arguments, uh, you know, agitation, oppositional behavior, and just kind of general friction between people. Generally, to help avoid that, we, we try to ask people to kind of take a break and, and um, let the person do what they want a little bit. But of course, that has to be done with the confines of, of being safe. And so that means that it is a bit of extra stress on, you know, care partners of persons living with dementia to um, use different tricks and controlling to try to keep them um, as safe as possible in terms of hygiene. I think persons uh, living with dementia are likely more vulnerable uh, to more severe COVID-19 and mortality. This has actually not been shown in the literature, although we do know that older persons with cardiovascular comorbidities uh, are at higher risk of dying from SARS-CoV-2 if they contract it compared to younger persons without cardiovascular comorbidities. And because most of our patients with vascular cardiac impairment are the older patients with cardiovascular comorbidities, one can presume they're at higher risk. That means that practically speaking, and because of difficulties keeping them physically distanced, I think it's appropriate for persons living with cognitive impairment to get out you know, of their home environment and home situation into the outdoors where they can get physical activity while maintaining appropriate physical distance. But I think uh, care partners should recognize that they're vulnerable to the effects of the disease and that um, more so than younger persons without comorbidities, 
to avoid, you know, kind of public uh, crowds and spaces where this lack of understanding of physical distancing might lead to greater risk for exposure. So in other words, you know, we are anticipating in Calgary that, you know, barbershops will be opening uh, and restaurants for limited uh, in-room dining on May 25, assuming the infection stays uh, under control. But if I were a care partner of a person living in vascular cognitive impairment, I think that's not the right kind of person to take out to a restaurant to celebrate, right? Like I think it should uh, remain socially connected, but more careful about physical distancing and avoiding large crowds than persons without those kind of health problems. I have one last question for you, Eric, and it's less focused on vascular dementia, more for all of us living in this, this new reality. What do we know about the cognitive impacts of COVID-19 and coping with socially distancing in a virtual world? Well, we have known for a long time that um, social isolation and depression are risk factors for developing clinical cognitive disorders. There's still a lot of controversy about the cause and effect. When one has cognitive problems, one tends to, there's one circle of friends tends to shrink and it's natural to feel down on yourself if you've noticed changes in your brain health. We also think the cause and effect might go the other direction too. You know, there's something about the lack of social connectedness that deprives the brain of stimulation and makes it more vulnerable to the effects of stroke or Alzheimer's disease pathology uh, or aging that make people vulnerable to developing memory problems. Uh, hearing loss, you know, is another factor that's been linked to risk for um, dementia, and it may be related to depriving the brain of stimulation. So we want people to stay engaged and active and mentally stimulated. Part of that can be following up on, you know, hobbies. I like to hear people doing more active things, you know, they can watch uh, the Tiger King, that's fine. But if they can also (laughs) accompany that by maybe doing some crossword puzzles or learning a new song on an instrument or learning to play an instrument or a new language, I like to hear it accompanied by those kind of more active activities. And I think the trick is to stay physically distanced from people, but not to be socially distant. Personally, I don't like that term social distancing, because the point is not to be antisocial, the point is to physically distance oneself, but stay connected. And, uh, and so we've, we've talked already a little bit about technological solutions that can make that happen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, video conferencing software, uh, staying in touch by telephone or by other means. So I think that's the real challenge is, is uh, and w- which we're all feeling through as a society, is how to have an engaged and socially satisfying life while not having that physical contact uh, and keeping a distance between ourselves. It's a daily challenge. We're all in it together. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, this Eric. I've, I've learned a lot and I'm sure others will as well. I want to just ask you in closing, if there's anything you want to share with your colleagues across the country. Well, thank you for asking. I think it's been trying and challenging time. I'm encouraged by the success of the public health measures in Canada. And I think we're actually fortunate to be better off in some places in the world. We're still more near the end of the beginning than the beginning of the end. And so I um, am impressed with the way that everybody's come together to work collaboratively to find solutions. So that's, that's been the part that's, I think, been really uh, great for me to see. Thank you so much and take good care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare Insights during COVID-19. 
As a reminder, you can find a lot of resources on COVID-19 and cerebrovascular health at heartandstroke.ca backslash coronavirus. Take care.